says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, chapter three, if it was not here for us, I tell you, the world around us would be inexplicable. It explains so much of what we see around us today. If you don't have a chapter 3, can you imagine just going from chapter 2, skipping to chapter 4, all of a sudden people are killing each other. It's like, hey, what happened here? Well, this is it. And in verse 1, the appearance of Satan, it is the serpent, but we know from Revelation, among other places, that uh, though this is uh, the um, indeed a serpent, that Satan really took possession of this animal and uh, sort of worked through him um, at the time. He so in the book of Revelation. In chapter 20, verse 2, it says that uh, the angel laid hold of the dragon. We were just in this a few weeks ago. That serpent of old who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 also has a reference. And so uh, this is uh, none other than uh, Satan. It, it, he's... he's taken um, he has possessed the the body of a serpent at this time a serpent was a different animal we'll see that from a little later in the chapter uh, a much um, in every reason to believe that uh, sort of a, a much more uh, appealing beautiful attractive animal than what snakes are today. Now, some people like snakes and most people don't, but, um, uh, he used, uh, the serpent for a reason. Uh, Jude says that Satan left his first estate. We remember from our study in Ezekiel and Isaiah, there are descriptions there of Satan in his first, um, estate. Interestingly, the, the last, uh, verse of this chapter, chapter three, the cherubim um, who garden uh, who guarded the uh, garden of Eve Eden after Adam and Eve were cast out. Satan was one of them, a cherubim who uh, was an angel in heaven, uh, speaking of uh, to Satan to Lucifer. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28, he, God says this, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and your mountings were made of gold. And on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. So he was of that order. Cherubim was a specific order of angels. 
There's other angels called seraphim and uh, among others, but he was a cherub. For so I ordained you. He was actually created by God and given um, this role. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I, splendor, so I threw you to the earth. I made you a, spectac- a spectacle of you before king. So um, in a sense... Even by chapter 3, verse 1, sin or rebellion had been introduced into the created world. Satan was already there, although in angelic form. Jesus said of Satan, I saw, I was there when you, when Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Unbelievably beautiful. And he... Um, after Satan, it says that a third of heaven, Revelation says, followed him, known as demons. But the fall took place in between chapter 1, verse 31, and chapter 3, verse 1. At some point, probably a fairly short um, time, where Satan uh, uh, tried to exalt himself above the Lord. It says that Satan was more cunning, verse 1 says. He was more cunning than any beast of the field. It's interesting, that word sometimes used uh, in a very positive way. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent, same word in the Hebrew, is to understand his way. Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believe every word, but the prudent, same word, man, looketh well to his going. Proverbs 14, 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent, same word, are crowned with knowledge. So Satan, extremely intelligent. It says more intelligent than any other created being. So Paul says to the Corinthians, he says we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And so right here we're able to look at a number of Satan's devices. Satan's alive and well. And he's not some guy that looks uh, or creature in a sort of a red jumpsuit with a fork, a pitchfork. He's a beautiful creature and he will take on the appearance of an angel in order to deceive you. But we need not be ignorant of Satan's devices. So let's look at a few of these devices. When he speaks to her and he says, he speaks to Eve, he says, has God indeed said, verse one, you shall not eat of every garden, um, rather eat of every tree of the garden. Uh, So, Right off, by the way, there, we know he's not an atheist. He's not an agnostic. Uh, neither is any demon. 
again, I quoted the verse this morning. The demons would often cry out before uh, Jesus casts them out of a person, uh, naming him as, as the son of God. He believes in God. But you could say that device number one is he t- attempts to introduce, introduce doubt concerning the word of God. Has God really said? Did God really say? Did the Bible really say that you sh- should not date someone who is not a Christian, single woman or single man? Did it, does it really say that? I just had a long conversation this week with someone. Does it really say the Bible that it's not okay uh, to have sex outside of marriage? Does it really say that? Anytime that you run into something or someone that is trying to cast doubt on the word of God, you're dealing with the devil. And it's important that you understand that. Just six months ago, I mean, craziness that happens out in the media. Someone finds a scrap of a fifth century manuscript. And this little tiny scrap says something, 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 Jesus' wife. (laughs) Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's all these theories. Whoa, Jesus had a wife. Forget about the other 5,000 manuscripts that don't mention that. Uh, They just happened to find this thing, casting doubt on the word of God. And there's, you know, there's got to be something about once a year of craziness like that. Interesting verse 2. We talked about Satan's devices. How do you deal with Satan? The sword of the word of God is the answer. Eve actually does great at Satan's first pass. She says, and the, and the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. She's quoting God's word here. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall You touch it, lest you die. And so, uh, here, uh, a lot is made sometimes of the fact that she, she adds the word touch. I think perhaps too much, although it absolutely is true that man has a habit of adding to the word of God. But, but here, I think she does awfully well. She comes right back at him with the word of God. He says, has, uh, Satan said to her, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she comes right back. No, it, it, he said what he said. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Hmm. It's fascinating to me that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan failed to do what he successfully did against Eve. And I love that study, Matthew chapter 4, and the beginning of Mark as well. 
It says that after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for that purpose. And it's so interesting when you study modern warfare, when the United States gets called into an armed conflict, for example, what do they do? First thing they do, Serbia was a great example, actually. They send in fighter pilots and destroys the infrastructure. They take out the bridges, the electrical, the other power sources, fuel supply, this type of thing. Very first thing. I find it fascinating. The Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness and then boom, 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 defeats Satan. And Satan takes off until a more opportune time. But the similarity between those temptations in Matthew 4 and here are, are quite remarkable. Eve's problem was that she didn't do the same thing that Jesus did, which is continue on quoting the word of God. Verse 4 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So he, he, he's just here emboldened, incredibly emboldened. I mean, he just comes out and it's just an outright lie at this point. One thing to learn from that, don't talk with the devil. (laughs) Do not carry on conversations, rationalizing and reasoning with the devil. Because he's going to come out and he's just going to go for it, which he does here. And he just tells an outright lie. And think of what is going on today. We hear uh, that God is a liar a thousand times a day. And we, what do we have to do? What's so important? We just got to do what Jesus did. We got to continue going back to the word of God. Satan's devices. Verse 5, we'll see another one. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Casting doubt on the goodness of God and of the device of Satan. Casting doubt. Every single commandment given by God was given because it was good for man. Every single one. You know, there's other reasons certain commandments are given. Many of them are given because they teach us about the character and holiness of God. But every commandment that was given by God was given because it was good for man. Not a single commandment was arbitrary. You know, just for kicks, I'm going to pass a law, you know, prohibiting these people from, how about this, cooking a goat in its mother's milk. Exodus 23, 19. But it wasn't arbitrary. You know, scholars differ as to what was going on there <laughs> with that particular commandment. They think it was a, a pagan ritual at the time, but there was nothing arbitrary. And, and, and you know, we, we live in this world and, and there's arbitrary rules out there and we just assume God is the same way. And Kate, Satan will cast doubt. God just being arbitrary. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to this tennis court. My brothers and I. And this test court had a rule. You had to have absolutely nothing. This is a double negative, I think. That was not white. 
And you had to be totally white. Your shoes, your socks, your shorts. Man, if you, and, and we would get kicked out. I mean, we'd have like a blue stripe or something on our shorts. So we'd have some guy walk onto the court. You're gone. I'm sorry, that was arbitrary. And we think God is the same way. And Satan will try to do this. He will cast doubt on the goodness of God. Another device of Satan. Notice that he dwells on the just the one thing that she's not allowed to do. The one thing. I mean, there's thousands of trees. He's just really good at that. Now, God is good. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, um, take on my yoke and learn from me. Right? My yoke is, is, is easy and, 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 and the burden is light. And, and, and I just love that verse in First John we've been in on Sunday morning. To the one who is born again, the commandments of God are not grievous. They're not. But, but you better bet that Satan is going to just go after those few things in your life that God really... That you that you have a problem with it, that, that you know God really doesn't want you to do, He'll go after that. Notice how she's near to the tree. What's she doing there? The Bible says, "Guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life." Another device of Satan. He's just going to wait right near that thing that you're not supposed to be near, but you are because. You think you're tough. You think you're a lot more spiritually mature than you really are. Satan will be right there waiting by that thing. Eve should have responded with the word of God. But verse 6 says this. It's an awfully, it's an awful tragic description here. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make men wise. She took of it its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. It was good for food. What was she doing there? Listening to her body rather than the word of God. The fruit was pleasant to her eyes. What's she doing there? She's listening to her heart. The Bible says, Proverbs, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. And then it also says there, she also said, considered that wow you know this tree is desirable to make men men wise she's convincing herself that there is a wisdom in this world that may be greater than God's wisdom God's out of touch she knows what is good for her more than what God knows is good for her one of the folks baptized last week called a friend who goes to another church somewhere in Boston. She was so excited. She was, hey man, I'm, I'm getting baptized. 
Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, what are you going to wear? She goes, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess just like shorts and a, and a shirt. And he goes, oh, well, that's not a real baptism. What? She goes, no, you have to wear a white robe. And, and she's, she's talking to me about this, and she's, she's arguing with the guy saying, well, what's it? But what difference could it possibly make? Uh, you know, and they were getting in this argument, and I said, you know, a much, much, much easier way to go in something like that is to say, say to the guy, where does it say that in the Bible? Where does God say I need to wear a white robe when I get baptized? And so if only Eve just went right back to the word of God, right back. To the, to the word of God. First John 2.16, remember, says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is, is not of, of God. And John there is, the Holy Spirit is actually tracking this temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Live for your body, Live for your eyes. Live by what you think is right or wrong. The defense should be, it is written, it is written, it is written. So it says there that at the end of verse 6, so she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now some people think Eve was alone. And that's, Another thing, you don't do. You don't flirt with temptation. You know, hang out near the tree by yourself <laughs> type of thing. I tend to believe he was right there with her. He heard the whole conversation. But she says she also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. It's, it Paul says that uh, the, the woman was deceived. And, and I like what some some folks say, that the woman was deceived, but... But Adam willfully sinned. He willfully sinned. He, he didn't... He wasn't um, fooled by Satan. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covered. This is, this is a, I love that definition of religion rather than relationship. Christianity is about relationship, not religion. Religion is just covering, putting fig trees of rather fig leaves. Um, getting this out, not because I want to make a call or got a text, because I, I, I just want to know the time. We put fig leaves over our inadequacies, our weaknesses, and, and even our sin. How silly. As if God can't see through. It says in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So we see consequences here. First consequence of 
of sin is, is that shame. They're sewing up fig leaves together, making themselves a covering. Things here get really complicated between men and women. I tell you, the, 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 the study of marriage is absolutely fascinating. But things get, you know, here, here you have it. It was fascinating in chapter 2 studying about marriage. But here you uh, see, see things getting real complicated. The second consequence, they hide from God. Thank you, sir. They hide from God. The devil tempts them to sin. They sin. What does the devil do? He tells them, I think it's, it's, it's fair to conclude that at his, as Satan's suggestion, you better hide from God. You better hide from him. The very opposite of what they should have been doing. Third consequence, fear. Verse 10 says, in verse 9, when the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where, where are you? It says in verse 10, God said, I, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Think about it. Up to this time, they had not known fear. There's a healthy fear of the Lord. I'm not talking about that. But that, but, but that irrational fear of God. Fear is, we're, we fear the Lord. Uh, and I, again, I'm not talking about healthy fear, but we're scared of God because of one reason, and that is because we don't understand some part of God's character. We, we, we are being either deceived by, by, by Satan or the world or our own ideas as to who he really is. In fact, God is filled with mercy. They could have gone right to him. Mercy, part of his character, part of his name, one of the names of God. Mercy. He's merciful. Verse 9, it's been said, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. The Lord comes in. Where are you? God is coming in for fellowship. And for the first time, they don't come out. You know, we don't think about this a lot, uh, very much when we talk about Isaiah. Uh, rather, when we talk about Genesis chapter um, 3. But God paid a heavy price by the fall. Heavy price. My favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Isaiah 43, where God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, because I have called you by name. You are mine. Verse 21, you, you are a people formed, I f have formed for myself. God says that he formed you for himself. Think about that. And, and he's coming in for, for fellowship here. And, for, and for, for the first time, they don't come out. Of course, he knows where they are. He asked them, he, you know, he's saying, Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but because he's giving them the opportunity to confess. 
Verse 10 again, I heard your voice, Adam said, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And so I, when I said that uh, you know marriage starts getting complicated and relationship, relationships between men and women start getting complicated, this is what I'm talking about. He starts blame shifting. He's not protecting his wife. A godly man, a godly leader will protect the nakedness or the shame of his wife. And, and here he goes, the, the, you know, the, the woman who you gave me. So he's, he's, too, he's really twice removed from the problem. The woman made him do it, but God gave him the woman. So I'm like twice removed from this, from responsibility here. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she blames the, the devil. Now, it's true he had a role, but he didn't make her do it. You can never say, the devil made you do anything. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 1, God has given us all things we need for life and godliness. You never have to say yes to the devil. Verse 14, I find it is fascinating. It's the beginning of the curse. God's, t- God's um, declaring the curse. And he starts off with the serpent. Now, what I think is really, really interesting is that notice how God confronted Adam with his sin. He confronted Eve with her sin. But he doesn't confront the devil with his sin. He doesn't do that. And he knows this this creature, the devil. He knows him well. And he's not going to... He, he, he really doesn't care about what, what Satan would answer. He knows that the, uh, the devil is a liar. And that when he lies, he speaks his native language. So he doesn't confront him, but he does tell him... And uh, verse 14, actually speaking to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So some people think maybe he, the serpent had wings at this time, hands, feet, whatever. was very beautiful creature, very different than what we see today. Verse 15 He speaks to the devil. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The word bruise there can be translated in Hebrew crush. It's amazing the the grace and mercy of God here. Here's the crime scene. The first sin, the greatest failure, 
really in human history. And God says, in Adam and Eve's hearing, he says to the serpent that one day the seed of this woman is going to destroy Satan. It's speaking there, by the way, of the supernatural virgin birth, because it says you're the seed of the woman. Women don't bring the seed, they bring the egg. So Satan is hearing at this time, whatever purpose that he had for doing this whole thing, God's telling them, sorry, you're not going to win here. And when this guy shows up, you will be destroyed. This is one of the reasons that um, Satan attempted to destroy Israel. He knew that the Messiah was coming through Israel. That's why you look, for example, in the book of Esther, to Haman trying to destroy Israel. Jesus Christ, 1 John 3, came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Satan bruised his seal, his heel. One day, uh, he, he had an iron stake driven through his, his feet. Apparently, it went right through his heel. One day, we'll see that, the wound on his heel. But here you have Adam and Eve, this incredible act of mercy. There's still a plan for them. There's still hope for them. Whenever you go to the Lord after sin, there will always be mercy. There will always be hope given to you. Always a plan that he will reveal to you. No matter how bad it got. How low you went. And here you see that in, 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 in God's character. He's doing that the very first sin right after. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. and In pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you <clears throat> so if, if, if Eve had not chosen to eat of that fruit what would childbearing be like And I've shared this with some of you before, but I, I still am amazed the first time I was, sat in the delivery room with my wife and saw her go through the pain of childbirth. I'm sorry for any pregnant women in here. I, I, but uh, it's just, actually, my wife didn't take any medication for any of our, our five children, but uh, she uh, she just just... What she went through was just unbelievable. Just sort of the shaking and pain. I'm like, whoa, this is unbelievable. I have a newfound respect for women here. Not that I didn't respect them before, but wow. The pain in bringing forth children. But then it says, your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. And I do a lot of marriage counseling. And this is the issue in marriage. It's just part of the curse. Desire the woman to rule. And man's response is to dominate. 
I love Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, the instruction of the woman. <laughs> Rather, the instruction to the man who says, Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Who loved her and gave his life for her. And putting this whole thing um, on, its, on its head. Jesus paid the curse for us, and we can actually experience marriages that are not free from conflict, but there's just a beauty there because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Verse 17, then he said, uh, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the, uh, the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so prior to the fall, as we saw last week, chapter 2, verse 15, did say that there was work in the garden. It says in verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend and keep it. But it was a joy. Now it's a burden. This is part of the part of the curse. Verse twenty, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Interesting here that he changes her name. Remember, Adam was given the role of giving names in chapter two. And he, and, and he called his name, uh, rather he called her name um, Ish. She shall be called woman, verse 23, the Hebrew word Ish, which is really means wife, if you do a word study in the Hebrew. But here he calls her the mother of all living. Now there's a, 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 a godly, Christ-like response, though. Could it be that as he saw the response of God, where God, notwithstanding the curse, notwithstanding the consequences of sin, the Lord in his mercy showed them that there was a plan of redemption, that Satan would be crushed. This is a response that Adam gives similarly rather than dogging her and nagging her and calling her you know he could have called her it was your fault there's some Hebrew word for that it was your fault and this is what I just tell married couples all the time and men in particular I was telling someone this today a man during marriage counseling if you respond to your wife 
with frustration and respond to her behavior that you don't like, you're not going to get the behavior that you want. (laughs) But if you respond the way Christ responds, then she will respond accordingly. So he calls her, and I believe this is an act of love here, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21 says also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the, uh, the, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he, uh, he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden till the ground from which he was taken to till the ground from which he was taken. He, so he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword was turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so verse 21, here the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. It's the first time here that blood is shed and who is shedding it God is he slaughters animals no doubt right in the very presence of Adam and Eve can you imagine the horror that they experienced seeing this animals slaughtered right before their very eyes. And these, be friends, they were friends with these guys. God was showing them the ugliness of their sin. And the book of Leviticus and Numbers, I believe, but uh, in Leviticus, you do see that when a person shows up with a sin offering, they are required to to put their hand on the animal and slit the animal's throat. Wow. It's gory, bloody stuff. There's a purpose in that. And I'm never suggesting that we should go back to the Old Testament animal sacrifice system. Obviously, there's not a need for it. Christ fulfilled all of it. But... One value to it is, man, did you think about the gravity of your sin when you saw the blood pouring? And so this is called, uh, some, some folks call this the first sacrifice, and, and it's just the Lord showing them, uh, and without the the without the pouring of blood there's no remission for uh, of sin so here you have a foreshadowing of the cross again in chapter 3 of Genesis so they're kicked out of the garden can you imagine if they're allowed to stay in the garden and possibly eat from the tree of life. Oh, here's the tree of life. 
live forever in a fallen state. Just think about that. Speaking of that word arbitrary, you can read this, oh, it's kind of arbitrary, you know, what's up with this tree of life? If they live forever in a fallen state, one can only imagine just the deaths of sin. Well, they would have been consumed. They would have wiped themselves out. <laughs> no doubt. Interesting that in verse 23 it says, therefore the, the Lord sent him out of the garden. But then in verse 24 it says, he drove out the man. Could it, perhaps he ordered them, they refused, and he had to drive them. Well, wow, what a broken heart. I can imagine the, the heart broken, God's heart broken. As he drives them out into an empty world, which would just be the beginning of so much suffering. But, you know, it's because of sorrow, it's because of labor, it's because of suffering that we're driven back to God, that we seek God. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in the heart of man. And when man is in suffering, he sees knowing, no, there's something better from <laughs> There's something better than this. And then a cherubim is left there to guard the Garden of Eden. Because of the flood, the Garden of Eden doesn't exist anymore. But I wonder how many times that Adam and Eve went back to this entrance. Didn't the regret. There's a, a lot of regret because of sin. But there's so much hope in the cross. And that's one of the amazing things about uh, Genesis chapter 3. At the very time of the fall, there's also just redemption, just written right in there. Hope written right in there, right in this, right into this chapter. So next week we'll pick up in chapter 4. We... Uh, close out our service, our Sunday evening service with prayer. That's what we do. If you need to leave now, you can uh, ask the usher for Eddie for a parking token.